Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, Magic and Alchemy is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lissenby. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. Happy spring equinox week, Kristen. Thank you. Happy spring equinox week to you as well. The wheel is turning and the sun is shining. How are you? Things are good here. Um, When we're recording this uh, yesterday, I went for a walk in Central Park and I saw Flacco the owl. He's this Eurasian eagle owl who escaped from the Central Park Zoo, which we love. And New Yorkers have just been talking about him and cheering him on as he decides to stay in the New York wilds. So he's being monitored to make sure he adapts safely to his new freedom and that his health is steady. But it felt very auspicious to bump into him while Cody and Banjo and I were out for a walk. Um, So feeling like a good sign of wild spring. How are you? Oh, I love that uh, Flocko the Owl. So he cute. sounds like, yeah, he sounds like he's living his best city life. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt keeping the rodents under control as well. But yeah, I love that. Like you said, what a beautiful sign of wild spring. I just love owls so much. They're like this blend of regal Athena energy mixed with the fierceness um, and mystery of my beloved Lilith. Absolutely. Yes, all of that. So, Kristen, our listener question, what have we got today? Gypsy Moon Rituals wanted to know, what's the most recent spell or ritual you have done that worked? And I love this question. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think, you know, during the new moon, right before Imbolc, I did a massive energetic cleansing ritual that I think I told you about, sort of inspired Mm -hmm. by some past work that you've done. Um, And I bagged up like 12 bags of clothes and other items to donate to Goodwill. So with that, I sort of released old and stagnant energy, sent good energy out with the items with the hope that they could be of service to someone else. And I just love a winter cleaning ritual like especially around that time early February because I always feel renewed and lighter and with more rooms for projects and joy and with spring on the horizon Mm -hmm. what about you yeah I love that I it just sounds so spacious like Mm -hmm. just imagining like 12 bags of clothes going out of your apartment like I just imagine you made so much space and I really love how that feels um And for me, you know, I've had some really wonderful success with spell bottles. Um, Shout out to Shelby for always being my inspiration when it comes to spell bottles. Um, But I haven't made any of those recently, even though I do like feed and water the ones um, I currently have in the ground. Mm. But 
I know we've said it before, but while I do engage in larger spells, usually around the full moon and Sabbath days, much of my practice involves small, simple spells, and much of that is influenced by the people I surround myself with and the conversations I hold. And so I think the most recent spell that I've put out there that worked really, really well actually involved you, Kate. Mm, I think I know what you're going to say. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, Listeners, as you may know, Kate and I met for the very first time in person this past November. And on my last day, a few hours before Kate drove me to the airport, we spent an afternoon in Brooklyn on the hunt for a, quote, cool shirt for my dad. Um, That's always his request when I travel is to bring him back like a cool local shirt. Uh, But oddly enough, everywhere we tried to go was closed for some reason. And so we ended up at this bar, George and Jack's. Um, Kate told me they had cool shirts, so they definitely did. And I snagged one for my dad. And then we were like, well, we might as well have a beer and just like hang out for a little bit. And we got to talking about the things we wanted in 2023. And that's when we came up with our winter crossroads classes, um, Mm -hmm. which is a writing community and creative coven that Kate and I hosted in February. And it was so magical. We got to tell stories and craft poems and ritualize our words. And the seed of all of that began that afternoon, you know, at a bar with the notes app on two witches phones. Um, which is so amazing. And then, you know, Kate, we walked back to your apartment in the rain because, of course, a hurricane was incoming. And there was just like this crackling in the air that day. I don't know if you feel the same, but it really felt like the cosmos were like celebrating with us. Yes, I absolutely feel the same. And I will not forget that drive to JFK anytime (laughs) soon in a hurricane. I remember like hydroplaning on my way back. I was like, woo. But, (laughs) you know, I also, I just wonder like how many spells have been cast over beers in New York City in old bars. Like, I just Mm -hmm. love that we're in lineage with all of those other magic makers and artists. And Mm -hmm. it was truly a spell. But listeners, if you missed the winter crossroads, we'll be back on Beltane for the spring crossroads. So if you're not already following along with Kristen and I on Instagram or on our newsletters, you know, head there for more details. And I've been just so excited about this series. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I'm just like such a solitary witch for the most part. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners can align with that sentiment, but I think this really speaks to the catalytic power of collaboration, both in a magical, um, but also like a practical sense, and also the importance of perceiving these small spells that we are casting with our words and our decisions that can lead us to new, like beautiful places that were only previously dreamed about, um, So that's my PSA to collab with your witchy friends, if you don't already. Mm. So mote it be or something better, definitely. Exactly. (laughs) Would you like to introduce our guest for today? I would love to. Xenia Marie Ross Foray is an imagination healer, multidimensional artist, and community weaver with a focus on human design and writing. 
Born as a brick-and-mortar business, Myths of Creation, the name of Xenia's collective body of work, is a container for experiments, writing, and gatherings at the intersection of creativity and spirituality. Myths' core intention is to reconnect communities, ideas, and art forms that have been separated in order to enrich the pool of imaginal possibility. Xenia's book, The Universe is an Art Project, is part workbook, part manifesto for the sacred role and responsibility of the innate creative power we have all been given. We truly loved this conversation as a deep dive into human design, weaving in personal myth and origin stories and creativity as a birthright. Listeners, you may want to press pause now and pull up your human design chart using a free website like My Human Design or My Body Graph so you can follow along as Xenia shares her process for reading a chart. We're super excited to explore this modality with all of you today, and we cannot wait to hear your thoughts. Xenia joined us from her home just a few blocks from Kate in Brooklyn via Zoom. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. And today we have my friend, neighbor, artist, creative, magic maker, and human design reader, student, and seer, Xenia Marie Ross Vare with us. Welcome, Xenia. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Xenia, I would love to begin our conversation today um, asking you about your big three in astrology. So I am an Aries sun with a Gemini moon and an Aquarius rising, a very Aquarius rising. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And what do these placements mean to you? Well, it's interesting because I'm really feeling into the Aquarius rising these days. I think a lot about how Aquarius is all about seeing the whole and the community, but also how it's all about being an individual and a rebel and how being a rebel connects to also being a humanitarian. So that one feels really resonant for me just in the time that we're living in right now. And Gemini Moon. Well, let me tell you about Gemini Moon. (laughs) (laughs) I am like the kind of person who falls asleep with like four books in the bed and it's just how it has to happen. Like books and communicating and pollinating information is like breathing to me. So the moon as our instincts and Gemini as my moon feels like very much in the body, you know? Mm -hmm. And then what's funny is my airy sun, that's the one that I can have a hard time <laughs> touching into. And in for anyone who's an astrology nerd, my Placidus, um, in the Placidus system, my sun is intercepted. So it's kind of hidden. And so I do consider myself to be like creative and pioneering, but I also find that certain people open that door for me and otherwise it can be a little dormant. Kate, any thoughts as an Aries moon? My Aries moon is the one that always gets me in trouble. So I'm always like, I have my eye on it now. <laughs> but when it went unsupervised, it was like 
ruling my life because I just feel like it is such a, I don't know, instinctual sort of like mm-hmm. uh, feral placement. Primal. Yeah. yeah. So that's my, fa- that's my feralness. And then <laughs> the Aquarius was kind of just like off doing its own thing and then had to kind of figure each other out at a certain point. The Scorpio was like, I'm over this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Aries is a fun one. I mean, my little sister is an Aries son, and so I feel like she's been a big Aries teacher for me. Xenia, mm-hmm. I would love if you could just talk a little bit about your work and who you are um, and tell us just a little bit about yourself for our listeners today. Sure. So my work is really centered around imagination healing. That's the umbrella that everything I do falls under because I really feel like our liberated imaginations are the key to creating a better future and really a more fun and free present. And under that umbrella is, of course, human design. I'm a human design reader, but I'm also a writer and I create workshops and experiences and What I love to do more than anything is weave things together that people have pretended don't connect (laughs) for thousands of years and just find the places where I can stitch something with a lot of love and a lot of heart to creatively connect what's always been connecting. I guess like, I think it's interesting to note too that the title of my company, Myths of Creation, actually started as a brick-and-mortar clothing business. And that name just like downloaded into my brain in 2013 or so. And at the time, I thought a lot about how a lot of brand stories are bullshit. Like I was reading about like different tech companies and they're like fake origin stories and I named the company Myths of Creation because it was a lot about how, you know, these brands are so fabricated and the narratives are sort of offensively made up, you know? (laughs) And from having that brick and mortar, I realized that actually what I was more interested in was creating spaces, creating community and bringing in the kinds of my own interests to a population who might not walk into a witchcraft store or walk into a psychic and make accessible space for everyone to explore those things together. So I'm really lucky because I realized that that name has always meant that I'm interested in how things get created. And so it remains really relevant in what I do now, but it stemmed from the experiment of having a shop so that I could really open up to the things I really wanted to do. My spirit had to kind of like trick me (laughs) Mm. into being a space holder in a way that felt like normal or safe to me at the time. That's how I first came to your work was I used to walk by to go to the train and I saw the name and I was like, oh, I have to go in here. And so Ashley and I stopped in and I bought that unicorn necklace. It was on like a little ribbon. And um, I was like, this person is a magic maker. (laughs) There's (laughs) unicorns here. (laughs) Yeah, I used to think about that space as like 
part of a constellation where people would gather and like people who met through my store went on to become like best friends, collaborators, start businesses, like do all kinds of crazy things. And I realized also that the energy of that space was a creative incubator. Like that's what it was. I used to have a lot of people in there who didn't ever sell or create a product before. And I would be showing them how to guide their creativity into products that other people could experience. But yeah, it was just such a fun place. Like I didn't know at the time what I, <laughs> the lab I was making, but mm-hmm. I know now. <laughs> Very Aquarius rising of you. Mm-hmm. And so we've actually never really focused on human design on the podcast before. And so Kristen and I are really excited to kind of tug on this thread of this beautiful tapestry of your work. Um, And I've actually had a human design reading with you a few months ago, so a little context uh, for listeners there. But on your website, you write that human design is the study of one's energy based on your birth details. Human design synthesizes the systems of Western astrology, the I Ching, the Kabbalah, Tree of Life, quantum physics, the Hindu chakra system, and genetics to create a chart of your unique energetic blueprint which tells you how to best exchange energy with the world around you and work with your true nature rather than against it. So can you tell us about maybe your human design profile and a little bit about the different energy types, maybe projectors, reflectors, generators, and manifesting generators? Yeah, sure. So in human design, I'm a manifesting generator. And that's the multi-passionate, non-linear, multi-hyphenate design, which I feel like you just witnessed. (laughs) And uh, on top of that, I am what's called an emotional authority. So I make decisions based on my emotions, which we'll get into, I think, uh, I'll expand on a little bit later. But I'm also what's called a 6-2 profile, which is the profile of someone who is wants to be a role model, but is secretly a hermit. (laughs) So that's the combination of my, that's kind of like the big three in human design is your energy type, your authority and your profile. But getting more into the energy type, because that is like the sun sign of human design. um, There are five main energy types. And this is the part that when I learned about this, this is what drew me to this modality because it was so resonant for me when I learned that manifesting generators exist. And the first type I want to talk about is the manifester because the manifester is kind of like the energy pioneer. They are the only type in human design who doesn't wait for anything external in order to make something happen. So when they follow their creative urges, they unknowingly open an energetic pathway for others to follow. So manifestors are trailblazers and energy pioneers. And they're only about 8 to 9% of the population. Last time they did these stats, which was a while ago. And <laughs> generators, I think of as the bumblebees because they literally create more energy when they are doing the activities and investing their energy in the things they love, 
which gives them the ability to do the doing, to build things that need a lot of energy. So these are kind of the people who will return to a task over and over again to create a sense of mastery and can get lost in what they're doing. Because when they're working with their energy, they become very magnetic to the opportunities that are meant for them. Then we have projectors, which is what Kate is. And projectors are actually the newest type in human design. And I think of them as the hawks or high-flying birds because instead of creating and generating energy, they're really here to see the bigger picture and to guide what's going on so it can be innovated to be more efficient and to be energetically more sound. And so projectors make really good advisors, really amazing teachers. They're the design thinkers. They see the overall vibe of what's going on with the creative energy and guide it. And manifesting generators, which is what I am, are a combination of the manifester and the generator. So we want to pioneer, but because we are also generators, we have to wait for something outside of us to give us a sign or signal about what we want to pioneer and how to best do it. And then reflectors are only about 1% of the population or less. Again, last time these stats all come from a textbook that's like from the 90s, so <laughs> grain of salt. Um, but reflectors are cosmic mirrors. They are really, really adaptable and What they do in the collective is they mirror their environment really well so that when you are really paying attention to the reflector, you're getting a sense of really how the whole collective is doing. And because of that, they're very ethereal and changeable and they're meant to really be surprised and delighted by the different environments that they're in so that they can feel really free in their identity, if that makes sense. It does. It's so cool to hear you talk about all the different types and it's just like such its own language, which I think is really exciting. Um, and we talked a moment ago about kind of where all of these things are are pulling from, but where does human design come from? And then can you speak a little bit more about why you love this framework? Yeah, totally. So human design was created or channeled by someone named Ra Uruhu in 1987. He was very, very candid about the fact that he received this modality in basically a transmission from like a a channeled voice. It's a big part of the origin story. And a lot of the predictions that he received ended up actually coinciding with different discoveries in science, which I won't get too into because I get kind of turned around by it sometimes, but it's like the discovery that this subatomic particle that's called the neutrino has a mass and can imprint all of our energy. That was something he received that was proved later in science, among a few other things. And so the modality came into being at that time. And let me tell you, with channeled modalities and you know, and also with the fact that I wanted to study this and was so drawn to it, I was really 
so resonant and excited about the system. Like I knew that it felt true to me, but I was also like, who is this person? <laughs> like what's going on? Like I need to know more. So the T is I got a psychic reading. <laughs> Yes. With my local psychic, <laughs> and I was like, I want to talk to Rauru. <laughs> and I want to know what you see because, like, this feels really good to me when I look at the chart, and maybe some other people into astrology or tarot can understand this. I look at the chart, and it's like a memory comes up. Like, I, f- I, I can feel and read into what's going on there, but I still had this healthy skepticism around this person because also. A lot of the language for all the listeners out there, and this is true for astrology too, it's really clunky and cryptic and you have to be very, very discerning about what you take in because it's filtered through a human being and also it's trying to translate super ancient texts you know, into, into giving you practical advice. So anyway, I go to my neighborhood psychic who I've seen many times and he says to me, I can't find Ra-Uruhu. Like, that's actually kind of like a brand name. And what I can find, you have to tell me this person's real name. And I gave him his real name, which is Robert Krakauer, before he changed his name. But what was more interesting was before I got in touch with the founder, was that in this psychic session, all of these beings came into the session and were like, look, like, this is very ancient knowledge all of us are protecting this system like it comes from a very high integrity place but there's also a layer of a brand on top of it and a layer of this person who kind of turned himself into a brand and i just want to share that because i think your listeners are highly intuitive and discerning and it's helpful to have that context um but he went on rauruhu to create the school and teach this modality all over the world. And some of the writings I've come across, in particular that of this gentleman, Richard Rudd, who was in charge of the European school, feels supremely profound and poetic and just like, there, it's, it feels like you're reading an, the, an ancient, ancient text when you read some of this work. So it was really both the resonance of my energy type, like learning, oh, I am non-linear, I'm multi-passionate, I'm never going to settle on a specific shape or form. To do what other people have done before in the order that makes sense to my mind is very going against the grain of who I am. That's really the practical reason that I was drawn to it. Um, and yeah, that that's the psychic tea on yeah. <laughs> human design. Yes. I love it. <laughs> we always need the psychic tea on all the subjects. <laughs> and how did that reading, um, that psychic reading, like influence, like how you work with human design? Like, did it have a big effect on you? Um, did you walk away? I'm, it sounds like you walked away feeling really good about it, but I'm just curious. Um, yeah. How it uh, influenced your work. Actually, this is a really good question that I never asked myself before, but what I learned is that when you attach yourself to a modality because it's part of your livelihood and you feel the need to own every part of it and prove to other people that it's real or right, 
that you sort of lose the plot of why you came into wanting to perform that service for that person in the first place. And that people who have the energy of coming to you to test you, no matter who you are, you're always going to get those people and they serve a purpose too. And what I learned was that there's a great deal of skepticism that is really healthy when you look at a modality that has been very gated for a very long time and only recently has come into a place of being more accessible for folks. There's like this new generation of people that are trying to teach it in more accessible ways with more accessible price points and all this kind of stuff. But I realized that I could be critical of something and also see the energetic integrity of it at the same time. And more than that, I realized that when we're looking at energy, right? So people are going to come to us with really practical questions because that's when you come reach for guidance. And people think about life purpose as a job. And this is so, so have so much compassion for that perspective because that's how I was taught to think about life purpose. But when I see the energy chart, like almost like a circuit board of your energy and how it can run, I understand it can take any form it wants to. So because of the reading that I had with the psychic, I really asked myself, when am I trying to prove to this person this modality is real? And when am I trying to liberate them and show them how their energy can flow best for them and welcome them into using that information as an experiment for themselves, having no attachment to the outcome and allowing them to have their own freedom. And I think where things get really dicey is when the community of people who were teaching human design for a long while were like very enclosed and gated. And so I try to welcome people's questions because of that reading, but I also try to like fold other ways of knowing into the way I sit with people. And I would love to go just a little bit deeper if we could. I know that human design works with strategy and authority. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Yes. So this is the part where human design has a little bit of a different flavor than astrology because it gives you an instruction. And I like to call the strategy, which is how each energy type can create less resistance and more flow. I like to call the strategy how we test if human design is real. (laughs) So the strategy for generators and manifesting generators is called waiting to respond. And what that actually means is that their aura is more receptive and inviting. So life comes to them instead of them chasing after it. And if they're in the present, right? Easy to say, hard to do. And they're in their bodies. Another thing that's easy to say, but challenging to actually do. Then they, when they respond to the stimulus in their environment with their bodies, they know exactly what's magnetizing and enlivening to them and what's a no for them and what is draining to them. And all they have to do is be in their bodies and feel the permission to say, yes or no to what's appearing in their reality. And how I work with it as a manifesting generator is if I have an idea, 
I wait for signs and synchronicities and they always come. But when I was like really grasping at straws in my career, I had no chill and no wait time. And I found that when I actually burnt all the way out and stopped trying so hard, that life really did come to me. So that is the generator and manifesting generator strategy, waiting to respond. Projector strategy is so interesting. So because they're the guides, their strategy is waiting to be invited because they don't get to decide who they're going to guide. And so the story of the projector is that they keep seeing how people could better use their energy, even when they're little kids. And they're looking at people like, why are you doing it that way? Maybe this would be a better way. (laughs) And oftentimes what they see is so natural and innate to them that how that interaction goes in childhood can really impact or influence their belief in the value of their perspective because essentially their perspective is what they're here to offer, not like the ditch digging, the view. And so by waiting to be invited, they know who they are a lighthouse for, like what ship is meant for their lighthouse, you know? And so by waiting to be invited, they take all their energy away from needing to prove their value to others or talk people into their value and instead are just there to receive those meant to instead are there to receive those people who are already really looking for their perspective. Then manifestors strategy is called informing and manifestors, which is the energy type who are here to trailblaze famously hate their (laughs) strategy because (laughs) manifestors have this like really impactful energy and it's not something they're necessarily trying to do. It's just who they are. It's when they follow their creative urges, they start things and have a big impact. And so it doesn't occur to them that other people are so interested or (laughs) need to know what they're about to do. But because manifestors have this powerful aura, other people settle down and relax and neither offer to help and support or kind of get out of the way when manifestors inform or let others know what they plan on doing. And again, it's not asking permission. You're just letting someone know so they can kind of settle down because your ener- their energy feels very unpredictable. And when they let others know what's going to happen, other people can decide to help and support them or not. And then reflectors have the funniest strategy because their strategy as this cosmic mirror is to wait a 28-day lunar cycle. And that is because their energy changes so much in 28 days that they're almost like a different person every day. And when they wait to feel out all of those different ways of experiencing the decision they're making, then they can come to a sort of peace or clarity. And in that time, it's recommended that reflectors basically ask other people who feel like trusted mirrors to be a witness to them talking out their decision over that 28 days so they can hear themselves sort of reflected in other people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Wow. 28 days. That's a long time. (laughs) Well, you know, it's really funny. So I have a friend who's a reflector and she was came 
to New York from LA to ask me a question about work. And she was deciding about a position that came into her lap. And she was waiting and waiting and talking to different friends. And in the 28 days, the whole nature of the position, everything about it totally changed. And then she ended up taking it and it totally worked out. But by biding her time, she allowed this clarity to emerge. And it's honestly shocking how many times like my own strategy and authority have worked out for me. It's very crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first learned about that, I think that that was the first thing that really resonated with me about human design was that waiting for an invitation. I was like, oh, no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> And then even on the flip side too, right? Like it has the, what is it? The not self theme. Is that the right language for yes. it? Yes. And and that being like for projectors, bitterness, um, you know, I have to try pretty hard not to be a bitter witch, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, we all do. it's really interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that the bitterness for projectors is like when you can see how other people could be using their energy better and you just want them to to live life with more ease it's really frustrating and makes you feel really yeah bitter when no one's asking you your opinion <laughs> <laughs> like over here <laughs> um and energy centers are also important, right? Uh, in the chart, like you're talking about it kind of as an energy circuit. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, totally. So when you look at a human design chart, you're going to see all these shapes. And each of the shapes represents something very similar to the traditional chakra system, but they're a little bit different. And all of the shapes can either be what we call defined or undefined in human design. And when something is defined in that energy center, you are more like a transmitter of energy. So you're sending your energy out into the world, which prevents other energy from really interfering too much with you. And so the upside to this is that you're really consistent there. You're not as vulnerable to the outside world, but you're also highly subjective because you're always, always running something of your own. When a center is undefined, which means that it's more of a receiver and amplifier, right? Then you're spongy there. And so it can be easy for you to mistake energy that is not yours for yours and then try to process something that's really not yours or to be heavily influenced by energy that's not yours in your decision-making or in how you see yourself. And so the plus side of that is you're open and you get to experience tons of variability. And in some ways, you're a little bit more objective because you're allowing in a variety of experiences. Okay, so to go back to all the different authorities in human design, outside your strategy, there's another layer of decision-making called your authority, and this differs for every chart. Like I said, I'm an emotional authority, and this is a very common authority. About 50% of the population have the authority that requires them to feel out all their feelings, gathering the data of their emotions, and then waiting for the biggest high and low charge to settle before using that data 
to understand what's the the most emotionally intelligent thing for them to do. The next common authority is sacral authority. And these are the people who have a gut response. They know right away if something is a yes or a no. I love sacral authority because it's very simple. Something either is exciting and expanding or contracting. And when it's a maybe, that's also a no because the gut is very binary in the sense that it's either enlivened or contracted. And so sacral authority people do best when they are asked this or that and yes or no questions because their gut does not know what to do with an open-ended question. If you say, what's your vision this year? The gut, think about the gut, right? And there's no substance there. So if you have sacral authority, try to present yourself two options. Even if you're trying to decide what to have for dinner, it's really, really helpful to break down decisions into smaller decisions. Then we have splenic authority. And in human design, the spleen is actually the animal instinct. And so people with splenic authority know instantly But the difference between splenic and sacral is that sacral authority needs to respond to something, right? Splenic authority just gets like a ping or a little hit or a little whisper or a feeling in the subtle animal body to call this person or they get a funny sense about somebody and decide that they, you know, don't or they do or don't like that person. They just get an immediate animal sense of what is healthy for them individually. It doesn't have to be what's right for everyone, but what's right and healthy for them. And because this is a very quiet voice, oftentimes it doesn't repeat itself. So listening to your first read on something, if you have splenic authority, is important because it might not come back again. And I find that a lot of people really develop a relationship with this by starting to track this in their notes on their phone. Like the little hints you get so you can start to see how it unfolds before you start using it to perhaps make really big decisions. Now, a less common authority is ego authority. And people with ego authority are here to do the things that are really aligned with what they selfishly want. And not to say this in a way that's like callous or uncompassionate, but when they go by their true felt desires, what they want to go after, they are able to bring the gifts that serve the collective out with more ease. And so if you have ego authority, that only is applicable to manifestors and projectors. and What's helpful for ego manifested people, which is manifestors with ego authority, is actually speaking without a filter. I know that's frowned upon (laughs) in society, but say you're doing this with a friend, it's hearing what your heart wants. Because when you have this energetically, your heart just comes out through your words. And so you get to understand your desires when you speak without a filter. And Self-projected authority obviously is only something projectors can have. This is kind of a rare authority, but self-projected and environmental authority are the two types that need to just talk everything out, out loud with someone else. But 
rather than receiving advice, they're actually just using the other person as a sounding board. And they need to have that conversation literally through their voice in order to know what they really feel and think. And they need to be in places, if they're environmental authority, when they're having that conversation, that feel good to them. So people I know who have this will literally go to like their favorite place in the woods or park with a friend or to a cafe with a friend and talk things out there. And then if you're a reflector, there's only one authority, lunar authority. (laughs) That's waiting 28 days so that you can feel all the different versions of yourself experience that decision before you commit and it becomes clear to you. Xenia, you wrote, human design's most useful application is to give language the way you are already working and to point out the ways you may make things more complicated and difficult for yourself than you really have to. It's a language of consciousness. Be open to experimenting with it and feeling open to add and change how you allow its magic to work through you. Ultimately, it is meant to be freeing rather than restricting and differentiating rather than generalizing. Give yourself the power to decide what's useful and true for you. Can you speak a little bit more about human design as a language of consciousness? Yes, sure. So when I look at a chart, I really feel like I'm seeing the way a person's energy flows, like what we were just talking about with the energy centers. I feel like I can see where they're spongy. I feel like I can see where they're trying to transmit or share something energetically with the people around them. I can see different unique ways they process. But also when I look at a chart, it really opens up and resonates with my energy And so it kind of like awakens and reminds me of different energies inside of me. And I feel like this is also true for tarot. And this is also true for astrology that because there is like this energetic symbolism that's very image heavy and goes outside the analytical mind, it kind of opens our channels. And I like to think that the chart changes us a little bit, that it's sort of tunes us. I think of the chart almost as a tuning fork. And when you sound a tuning fork, right, everything else in the room that has that same note will also resound. And so I think all of these modalities can resonate or not resonate with us, but either way, they give us this opportunity to wake up something within ourselves. And then vice versa, we bring that resonance to that modality and we change the modality by interacting with it. It's this kind of two-way choreography that's happening all the time. And so because everything is energy, like science says, everything is energy. (laughs) I think that when we look at things like a consciousness, it prevents us from doing what we've always done with knowledge in the way we've been educated, which is trying to create linear rule books, dogmas, centralized authorities, and basically give power to something outside of ourselves so that we start to almost 
become in service to the information, forgetting that it's supposed to be in service to us. (laughs) And so I like to call all of these modalities you know, consciousness languages, because they're just different languages. There's some languages I have a lot of interest in speaking, and there are some languages I just don't vibe with when I hear them. And so I feel like we all have these different instinctual draws towards the language that's right for us. So Xenia, what would you say is one of the most important lessons that human design has taught you? And what do you wish you would have known when you started out? So I think that most important lesson that human design has taught me is that there's no hierarchy in the way the different energy types work. And what I really love is kind of an under-talked about subject in human design is this element called circuitry. There are three main circuits in human design. One of them is called tribal. And the when you have a lot of tribal energy, you're here to really worry about putting food on the table, keep traditions alive, and you're really concerned about your family or your immediate community. And then there's another energy group called collective. And these are your scientists and storytellers who are just interested in what is possible in the human experience and what do we all have in common? What are these patterns? What are the myths? What are the Yeah, what are the commonalities in the human experience? And then you have individual energy, which is what it sounds like. (laughs) These are people who are bringing in something so unique into the world because they want to contribute a new possibility or option into the collective. And so they are incredibly different. And in many ways, all they wish to do is to give other people a different or better option. But in because they're stewarding a very unique gift, they can often feel like they lack a sense of belonging because they're here to bring something that doesn't exist yet. And I bring this up because like, I think as a teenager, I was like, I like people who are different and rebellious. And I only want to be around people who aren't traditional. And why are people so stuck in their old ways? And I like the fact that there's all this like tolerance in this modality to help us understand that all these types are needed and we all need each other. And I think that's really beautiful. And I was so amazed when I looked up like my loved ones charts and was like, oh yes, this person is very traditional. They, Mm -hmm. they care a lot about keeping the family traditions. How interesting, you know? Um, And on a more personal level, I actually recently had an experience where I was using my authority, which is emotional authority. And when you have emotional authority, which 50% of people do, you make decisions by feeling out all of your various emotions. And instead of making a decision at the high or the low, you wait till the highest charge has passed and you use all of that data to understand what's most emotionally fulfilling for you. And it took me a really long time to practice this because I don't like making people wait and having decisions that are hanging around in the air. But recently there was a decision I had to make and I just was going back and forth on it for so long. And because I waited so long, I learned that other people could come to support me to make these decisions, which I wasn't 
at first comfortable even asking. And two, the people that were waiting for me to make this choice about this project were like super gracious. They gave me as much time as I wanted or needed. And I share this because I think a lot of us rush our process. And a lot of us feel like we will miss something if we don't prematurely say yes or that nothing else will come along. And it took me four years of practicing with the strategy and authority to actually do it with a big, big thing. And I was so surprised that people were patient with me. And not only that, it ended up way better than I ever could have imagined had I rushed that choice like I normally would have. I think I would have robbed myself of seeing like the grace that the universe has for me. So that lesson was really important and stays with me. It's kind of like that everything that's meant for you, like there's no way that you could possibly mess it up sort of sentiment. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah, after our reading, I started telling people that I had to sleep on it. And like, especially in this world too, it's like so helpful. I can be like, well, I had a human design reading. I need to sleep before I make any decisions. And people are like, yeah, that's great. (laughs) Sleep for two nights. (laughs) But it is, it's so helpful. It really is to like learn that. And where do you see that circuitry in the chart that you were talking about before? Well, that one's a little more complicated because it's like almost these There are certain things called channels in the chart, and that's where you see lines connecting in your chart. And those all belong to certain families, and you can find out what families they belong to. There's a really amazing book I recommend if you're interested in this called Circuitry by Richard Rudd. Our listeners love book recommendations. Speaking of books, um, I'd love to shift gears here a little bit and talk about your book uh, that you recently came out with, and it's called The Universe is an Art Project. So could you share a little bit about this project? Sure. So in early 2020, I decided I wanted to make this zine that I'd been thinking about for a long time. It was called Magazinia. Basically, 20 years ago in college, I thought it would be funny to do this. And so I I really wanted to put together just a collection of writing because like many of us, I have mountains of it. And I showed all this writing to someone and realized that I really needed to start over. And so as a result of starting over, I came up with all of this channeled writing, which became the universe as an art project. And when I looked back at it, I realized all of it was about creativity and all of it was about redefining creativity so that everyone understands that they are creative. It really bothers me when I hear people say they aren't creative because problem solving is really creative. Being a parent is really creative. Like designing software is very creative. There's engineering is creative. Like the fact that we kind of silo creative people in the trope of what we learn in elementary school and or like pop culture and teen films, it bothers me. (laughs) So I really wanted people to redefine creativity in a way that they could see that it is almost impossible to be alive and not 
be creative. Like your body makes cells just when you are sitting there. (laughs) So the book was also me understanding that my creative process is something to relax into and something to stop working so hard at. And I don't knock hard work. I'm into it. I'm here for it. But I also know it has a limitation and that we can often do things in ways that are way harder than we need to when we have the wrong definition of things in our head. And so I actually had to learn how to receive my own creative inspiration with more grace to make that project. In the book you wrote, and I love this quote, so I'm going to read it if it's okay with you. All right. Um, If we who want to change, who want to ground our creative energy onto this planet, who make things to remind us what it means to be human, who make things to reclaim the right for every one of us to be whole, fulfilled, and brave, if we who make things that come from our heart do not come forth with our gifts, because we are too afraid of the responsibility of stewarding our talents or sharing our creative work, which will always be in progress, then what happens? Then those who will be creating most of our world will be those who create for their own gain in wasteful ways, those who peddle the mythology that only some of us are makers and the rest of us are powerless. And I hope that I, you, me, all of us can be brave enough to remember that that has never been true It is our birthright to create. And Xenia, on this podcast, we've spoken a lot about art as magic and creating as witchcraft. And so I'm curious about your relationship to the word witch and then to channeling and to tarot and to creating and and magic as birthright. Well, I love this question. And Honestly, I was very averse to the word witch for a very long time because in the Philippines, that word is used especially with a lot of derision. And when people think you're doing any kind of witchcraft, there's a lot of fear, but it's also associated with something very specific that people have a lot of assumptions about. And only recently have I started to understand that Being a witch doesn't mean I have to wear a certain outfit or read certain books (laughs) (laughs) or have a certain, you know, music taste or something like that. I understand being a witch is someone who wants to create in connectivity with all of existence and all of creation and understanding the power and humility that comes with that at the same time that I am just one small piece of this creation, but I am the only me in this creation. And so I'm here for a reason and it's an important one. And that's true for everyone. And with channeling, I think that's been a really interesting thing for me because I am someone who as a teenager, maybe everyone who listens to this podcast is this person, I don't know, but who as a teenager was just like, I need to have a beer and write for 25 pages stream of consciousness. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just would write furiously from being like a five-year-old up till now. I still do this. And I always was taught like when we write, it's about just about us and just about us working hard to earn this skill or 
learn how to write like someone else or develop this practice through will and hard work. And now I realize that actually when I'm deeply relaxed, writing is so much about letting something flow and that through doing that, I can not only have a more fun creative practice, but I also allow all aspects of me to channel through me. And I love the experience of reading something you wrote like three days later and feeling like you don't know who wrote it. Like that's my favorite. (laughs) I feel like many of us who like to channel or, or do anything intuitively can have that sense. And what I love about it is that it makes me feel like I'm connected to some like primal creative life force that is just allowing me to express in my particular creative language, but that we're all essentially expressing the same primal creative force. And I think that's so beautiful. Like there's room for everyone and there's also room for us to change and grow without necessarily forcing ourselves into the shape of the skill we've been taught. And I know Kate and I both are big fans of channeled writing. And so can you speak a little bit about your approach to channeled writing? Like, do you ritualize it? Like, what does it look like for you? Hmm. Well, actually, what I'd really like to share about this is a project I did in the summertime, which was when I wrote a prayer from my life every single morning outside. and. I would sit with my notebook and make sure to look at the sky. And then I would ground myself and just tell myself I'm only open to the most loving intentions from within and without myself. And then I would write a poem by hand. I did that every day for about three months. And I just started looking back at these poems, actually. And I have to say, like, that was an enchanted time for me, but also not to toot my own horn, but the writing was really, really beautiful. It was just like so beautiful that I had such loving wishes for myself, you know? (laughs) That's so beautiful. I love that. Yeah, I'm going to try that, I think, as soon as it mm-hmm. warms up, because I'm like, not quite yet can I go outside <laughs> every morning, but <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, there were times I would go outside, and honestly, I think that my cat is partially on in my life to remind me to go outside. He whines if he can't go on, on our deck, and mm-hmm. the times I've allowed myself to rest in that simplicity Like I've seen rainbow prisms in the clouds. Like I've seen just really beautiful things. And I think that outside piece is half the magic. I love when you just post light codes of water because it reminds me of like if I'll be like scrolling and I'm like, oh, right. Like it's nicer out here. Actually, I'm going to go look at something else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like when I was with my niece, I have a four-year-old niece and I was nannying her when she was around two years old because her, her preschool closed. But 
we used to go to the water every day. And I don't know if it's because I was with a kid, but I just really understood how beautiful it is to look at light on water. Like it takes eight minutes for that sunlight to get to the earth. And then it sits there on the water and looks like firecrackers. And I honestly think it is like a deeply transcendent thing to practice. 100% agree. Now my brain's like uh, lost in like the primordial soup of things. Like, (laughs) Well, remember Kate, I was telling you that I was telling Kate, I'm a human psychedelic because (laughs) I really relate to mushroom consciousness, not just like psilocybin, but just like connective, connecting everything that's definitely already connective, either within your synapses or within disciplines or with people. And I do feel like when you think that way, you can get lost in the primordial soup a lot. There's also a lot of creative juju in there too. Kristen, I wish you could have been there. We just like were sitting in the park and like suddenly like three hours had gone by and I was like, ah, the sun's setting. Like what just happened? (laughs) Like when the sun goes down, we go home. But otherwise, yeah, outside talking about the primordial soup. (laughs) Xenia, what are you most excited about right now in the world? Well, honestly, I'm really excited March. I don't know why. Maybe it's astrology, but I just feel like we're going through a collective shift that's really, really beautiful. And I think a lot of creative genius stuff is going to come out in March across the board. It's just a sense that I have. But I'm also really excited because I have been creating a course for the last two years and I'm going to be launching it, I think, the day that, or it's going to begin the day I think that this airs. And mm-hmm. it's so exciting to me because it's the most unknown, wild, vulnerable thing that I have ever put out in the world. It really feels like a birthing process. And so I'm just really, really excited to release it into the ether and see what happens. So exciting. Can you tell us? Can you tell us anything about it? Yeah. So it's called Create Your Cosmology. And it's all about being your own authentic meaning maker. And I think about it as almost the pre-work I wish I had done before I started going down a lot of different spiritual rabbit holes, or even when I was a teenager trying to figure out what to do with my life or choose a major. Because the course is all about understanding how your ways of knowing authentically work for you and forming your own picture of reality that comes from within you using both your analytical skills and your intuitive, subtle body and creative skills. And so it kind of takes all of the questions I asked for two years about what's real and not real and puts it into a sequence so someone else can go down that path and create their own way of seeing the world. Oh, this sounds amazing. Thank you. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear more. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) And so, sadly, I think that we are running out of time, though I think we could hang out in the primordial soup 
place forever. But before we go, where can our listeners find you and your work? So I'm pretty active on Instagram. My handle there is myths of creation. And so that's myth with an S, myths of creation. And my website is also mythsofcreation.com. But I share a lot of my writing, what's coming up for the lunar cycle by human design, and just also the projects that I'm excited about. I share a lot of studies about water magic and creativity and the intersection between creativity and spirituality there. Thank you so much for joining us, Xenia and listeners, today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions and comments or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog tamedwild.com. Tune into next week's episode when we contemplate signs of spring. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time.